Well, good morning. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn them to 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to begin a little uh, three-part series. Um, you see entitled before you, Discipleship 101. And uh, I love Pastor Aaron's creativity. I give him the information, and it looks like we're actually at school and taking notes. And that's an old-school uh, 80s notebook there. And, um, but no, all, all jokes aside, yeah, Discipleship 101, the recipe for making disciples. Now, one of the things I always try, I was trying to make a disclaimer, um, you, you know, in a series like this, when I said the recipe for, okay, again, I want you to understand, and I'll echo this in a minute, this is a 30,000 foot view, okay, so this is not an end all and a be all, but as we'll look at over the course of the next month or so, um, these are necessities, okay? The, these, these ingredients that we're going to see require, are, are required to make disciples, bare minimum, okay? And so we think about this reality of uh, recipes and ingredients. Um, I asked my wife for permission, so I'm getting better because usually I don't. I just use her as an illustration to look down at her, and she'd give me the look like she's getting ready to kill me, um, but I asked my wife if I could use her as an illustration. She said yes. So we talk about recipes. We talk about ingredients. We talk about cooking. Um, my wife, bless her heart, she can cook. You thought I was going to say she couldn't, didn't you? She can cook. Um, but my wife is notorious for just kind of winging it. And, and we'll have something for dinner, and I'll say, honey, this is really, really good. Can you make this again? But I don't know the answer to the question, right? Because she's not using a recipe. She's not using, she's like, oh, well, you know, one time we had this, and I think I put this in it, and I think I put this in it, and I don't know how much of this, or I don't know much of that. And so she'll try to duplicate it. Um, and it's not always the same. Sometimes it's still good. Um, sometimes it's not as good. Uh, we had dinner the other night with a family, and the, the dinner, it was really good. And knowing where I was going Sunday morning thinking about recipes, I asked, um, the woman who cooked, who cooked dinner for us, I said, I got to know, do you cook with a recipe card? Or, you know, a recipe, don't have to be a card, but do you use a recipe or do you wing it? She said, I got to use a recipe every time. She said, I can never remember. I'll forget stuff. I use the recipe card every single time. Now, when my wife cooks, there are no certainties. But sometimes there are. There, I would say there's a couple exceptions to there being no certainties. Uh, my wife, I would submit to as perfected chili, um, and she can walk into the kitchen. It's kind of become a go-to. Uh, what are we going to have for dinner? I don't know. I didn't send anything out. Let's have chili. She pulled out of the cupboard. She go, and it's almost the same every time. Uh, my wife's or my favorite dish my wife makes for me <clears throat> is called sour cream chicken. You guys ever had it? It's got all the crushed crackers on top of it, and uh, and she's perfected that. And uh, but other than that, coming out of our kitchen. It's not necessarily going to be bad, but it may not be the same. And while everything that comes out of our kitchen is not certain, there are a few things outside of our kitchen that are certain. This, of course, is not all things that are certain, but just a few. Jesus was born of a virgin, and, and being born as a virgin was the full manifestation of God in the flesh. It's certain that he defeated the schemes of the devil in his sinless life, and that was evidenced 
by his resurrection from the grave. It's certain that God's love for man is great. So much so, in fact, that he paid the highest of prices and offering his son as a sacrifice. As we just say, we talk about when I'm tempted to despair, I look up. What are you looking up at? The cross of Jesus Christ, where your sin was made an end, where the sinless, spotless Savior died. This is a certainty. And it's certain that this was for the purpose of satisfying the demands of a holy God. Another certainty is the charge that Jesus left for his disciples before ascending into heaven to be seated at the right hand of the Father. Again, in the same song we just sang about. This certainty, we're very familiar with it. In Matthew chapter 28, And Jesus came and said to them, Them, these are his disciples. So it says, Jesus came and he said to his disciples, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I would submit to you this morning that the mission of the church is simple. Not only is it simple, it's certain. And yet there seems to be much debate, particularly in our American context, right? There seems to be much debate about what exactly the church should be doing. This morning, I would submit that you and I, we, we must understand that while the church is trying to figure out what God has already made clear, like don't miss that. We're trying to figure out what God has made clear in his word The world is gaining traction. People are being deceived by error and by lies. And the longer the church takes to figure out, again, I want to remind you, what is already certain, what is clear, the harder it's going to be to get back on track. You know, I read a thing this past week, side note, this is in America, but this is our neighbors in Canada, Did you know that effective January 8th, it is against the law to preach against any form of sexuality? It is literally punishable by jail time in the province or the country, excuse me, of Canada after January 8th if you stand in a pulpit and you say the word of God says that marriage is for one man and one woman for life. This is God's design. Can you believe that in Canada, not Africa, not the Middle East, that in Canada, in less than one week, that statement is punishable by jail time? Two years is what I read. Up to two years jail time. It's no longer legal in Canada to engage somebody. If somebody comes to you and and they're struggling with the phrases we use nowadays are Things like gender dysphoria. You're not allowed to counsel people from the word of God. It's punishable by law in Canada. In one week, less than one week. The church is losing ground, folks. 
And I want you to understand something. I unashamedly, unequivocally, unapologetically believe that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. But we cannot act like while we sit idly by and as a church squabble over things that are secondary, that the world is not gaining ground. It's become commonplace for people to feel as though the church is faltering, the world is winning. And this isn't new. This isn't new. I had to get ready to take a, a class. And uh, for this class, of course, you've got to read a number of books. And one of the books that I had to read um, was, it was, talking, it was called The American Leadership Tradition. And it, it, it walked through America's history by highlighting a number of uh, its influential leaders, not just presidents, but yes, some of them were presidents. And um, it walked through American history. And, and we we're looking at some of these different things. And we talk about, you know, feeling like the, the church is losing ground in the world. Former President Woodrow Wilson once said this. Jesus Christ so far has not succeeded in inducing the world to follow his teaching. In other words, Jesus is a failure. He has not convinced the world to follow his teaching. Former President Wilson was not done there. He would go on to say that this failure was a result of Jesus teaching the ideal without devising any practical scheme to carry out his aims. I would submit a couple things to you. Number one, that's a very interesting position to take. And number two, the statement Wilson made should have included a caption that said, I don't read my Bible. Because this opinion or idea of former President Woodrow Wilson is clearly contrary to what the Word of God teaches and what Christ himself taught as recorded for us in God's word. Jesus has not failed. And it's even more ludicrous to suggest that he has failed because he didn't give us a plan. He did give us a plan. He told us exactly what to do, and he told us how to do it. And there's many places where God clearly communicates his desires for his church. In the context of making disciples, we've seen this morning perhaps the most famous, the Great Commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples. But we also see this practically, and one of the places we see this practically is in Paul's letters to his protege, Timothy. Remember, Timothy is a pastor at Ephesus, a place that was very difficult. It was steeped in black magic and voodoo and everything that, that, that kind of went with that and was an encompassing of that lifestyle. And so Timothy, Timothy's there pastoring the church in Ephesus, and Paul writes to him, and he speaks practically on how it is that the church is to take up the task that she has been given of making disciples. So turn your attention with me, if you would, to the first two verses of 2 Timothy chapter 2. He says, you then, so Paul's talking to Titus, my child, you then, my child, Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. We're only going to look at verse 1 today, okay? And I want you to understand as we begin to look at this together that 
as we just read it, it doesn't say step one, do this, step two, do this, and so on and so forth. It doesn't say this is the exact specifics of the method or the mode for accomplishing this goal for all of time. As the Word of God often does, it teaches us in principle. Now, teaching in principle is no less effective in our lives than an imperative. Imperative is, do this. And just because Paul didn't say, step one, do this, step two, do this, does not mean that the the principles are any less effective. And so as we begin this morning, I want to clarify something. It's great to talk about discipleship 101 It's great to talk about a recipe for making disciples. It's great to talk about the ingredients that that recipe requires. But we have to establish something right out of the gate. What is a disciple? I'm willing to bet if there was sheets of paper in front of every one of you in your pew this morning and I said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take that piece of paper and I want you to write on it for me what you believe a disciple is and throw it in the offering plate when you leave. I will guarantee you we won't have two of the same answers. Now I want you to understand something. We have to seek to correct that. We can't make disciples if we don't know what a disciple is. So we want to begin by establishing What is a disciple? What is it that the church is supposed to be making? According to the Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible, a disciple is someone who follows another person or another way of life and who submits himself to the discipline or teaching of that leader or way. So the first thing that I want you to understand this morning is the idea of making disciples is not limited to the church. Every aspect of our life, every facet of our life, disciples are being made. But the church has to ask the question, as we think about disciples, are we making disciples of Jesus Christ? That's the task. So the key elements of a disciple are this. The following of the teacher or the teaching. Okay, And that's to say there's an adherence, an identification to something. Okay, um, Whatever you support, you're a disciple of that. Okay, So uh, it looks different for different people. But whatever we identify with, we're a disciple of that thing. And so the key elements of a disciple are the following of the teacher or the teaching. That's the identification. But secondly, the key element is the submitting to the teaching or the teacher. So there's the element of identification and there's the element of submission. And so in the context of the church, in the task of making disciples as Jesus has commissioned the church to do, what we're seeking to do is, number one, call people to identify with Jesus. That's baptism. Okay, And then submit his teaching. That's what Jesus said, right? Go make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them all that I've commanded. And so when we talk of biblical disciples, 
We're calling people to identify with Jesus, and in their identification with Jesus, we're calling them to submit to all that he taught. And so this morning, I want us to see the first of three ingredients to making disciples of Christ. And as I said at the outset, these ingredients are non-negotiable. There may be more specifics, some things that will be determined by, you know, context. I would submit to you that you don't make disciples in southern Indiana the same way you do in central California. I don't know why I picked California. That was just, (laughs) right? But you get the point. The task is the same, but the methods may vary. And so this is just a 30,000-foot view. And these are the priorities if the church is to make disciples. Ingredient number one, and and you'll see, uh, I've got one point. Ingredient one, I'm getting ready to give it to you. It's not even on here. So you write what you feel led to write if you're a note taker. Ingredient number one, if we're going to make disciples, ingredient number one is born-again believers. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Anyone who desires and then aims to be successful at making disciples of Christ must themselves be a born-again believer in Jesus Christ. And Paul's initial exhortation to Timothy here is that he be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And this strengthening that he calls Timothy to is the prerequisite for what he will say to Timothy subsequently to what he's saying now. If you're going to make disciples, if you're going to do the the rest of the ingredients to the recipe that we'll look at over the course of the next few weeks, Paul says to Timothy, you must be strengthened. The idea here is that making disciples of Christ is a divine act. You and I ultimately cannot make disciples. God makes disciples. But we must be strengthened for the task because it's a hard one. And so Paul, calling Timothy to be strengthened, is the foundation of Timothy fulfilling the command that Christ has placed upon his life. You see, if you're going to carry out the intentions of Christ, whatever they are, but especially make disciples, you must first yourself be a disciple of Christ. What are you passionate about? What do you want to talk to people about? What do you want to share with people? Those are the things you're a disciple of. And if we want people to be a disciple of Christ, we ourselves first must be disciples of Christ. This phrase that Paul uses here, in Christ Jesus, is used by the Apostle Paul throughout his letters, and he uses it most often to convey the idea of being in relationship with Christ. See, you cannot be strengthened by Christ if you are not in relationship with Christ, okay? You cannot be strengthened by weights if you are not in relationship with them. I don't know how often you look in my office, but there's some dumbbells in there. I'm not getting any stronger, okay? You know what that means? I'm not using them. 
You cannot be strengthened by Christ for the task of Christ if you are not in Christ. And I want you to understand this morning that there's a difference. I've said this a million times. There is a difference between knowing information and believing said information. You can know something and not believe it. Many people know things. Even people in Scripture knew things. I think about Jesus on the road to Demaeus in the end of Luke's gospel. And the two men, and they're walking and they're talking. And the Bible tells us that Jesus appeared to them. And then he revealed to them that he was Jesus. He was the Messiah. And it tells us that he interpreted for them all that the law and the prophets taught. So they knew it. He interpreted it. He taught them. He helped them to understand. And many others knew what the law and the prophets taught. And yet Jesus made it clear that just knowing something was not sufficient. Our call to worship this morning was John chapter 3, 1 through 8, about a man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a religious leader. And he needed to know the one in whom the law and the prophets pointed to. I didn't say he needed to know what the law and the prophets said. He needed to know the one in whom the law and the prophets pointed to. We read this in John chapter 3. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Is this not an amazing response from Jesus? Let's keep reading. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time in his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. I want you to understand something. Nicodemus was like the epitome of what a religious leader in Israel was in the day of Jesus. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. He was a Pharisee. That means that he was of the ruling council in Israel. Nicodemus knew the law and the prophets frontwards and back. And he comes to Jesus by night. Interesting. Jesus never tells us why he comes by night. Maybe he comes because he's intrigued by this Jesus. Hmm, who is this Jesus? He refers to him as rabbi. Let me give you a little jump to the end of the story. When Jesus was crucified and removed from the cross, guess who was there? Nicodemus. You see, Nicodemus went from knowing stuff about the Messiah, the law and the prophets, to knowing the Messiah that the law and the prophets pointed to. So he knew the law frontwards and back, the law and the prophets. That's what we would call the Old Testament. But even in knowing them, he didn't believe that Jesus was more than a religious teacher that had been sent by God. And Jesus' response to him is incredible, isn't it? 
He says, we know you've come from God, rabbi, teacher. Nobody can do what you do. Almost asking Jesus, who are you? Because we know that nobody can do what you do unless God is with him. And Jesus, in the fashion that Jesus does, says to him, Unless you be born again, you can't enter the kingdom of God. I have to imagine that we know Nicodemus was befuddled. Because he said, how does a man, when he's old, enter back into his mother's womb and be born a second time? So we know he was befuddled by the statement. But can you imagine? That would be like you coming to me and saying, Pastor, I've got a question about the Bible. And me being like, yeah, did you see Michigan get waxed by Georgia Friday night? You'd be like, what are you talking about? That's not what I come to ask you. I don't want to talk about Georgia and Michigan. I want to talk about the Bible. We see Jesus, he cut straight to the need of Nicodemus. You can know the law, you can know the prophets inside out, frontwards and back. But if you don't know the one whom the law and the prophets point to, you cannot see the kingdom of God is what Jesus is telling Nicodemus. Jesus is challenging Nicodemus' thinking. I'm not merely another religious teacher, Nicodemus. So he calls Nicodemus to believe and to experience the transformation from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Now, again, I'm not saying there's a correlation, but as Jesus calls Nicodemus out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of marvelous light, what what did Nicodemus come to Jesus under the cover of? Darkness. Jesus calls him out of it. Jesus invites Nicodemus to be born again, to experience a, a transformation And this transformation can only happen as a person trusts Christ at his word. It's not about knowing stuff. It's not about doing stuff. It's about trusting Christ at his word. You see, man does not have the ability to transfer himself into God's kingdom. There is no amount of good, good you can do. There's no amount of giving, attending, serving, saying. You can do nothing to alter the fact that you are separated from God because of your sin. This only happens by faith in the revealed word of God. And faith must be in the full message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we're going to make disciples of Jesus Christ, we must first be disciples of Jesus Christ. And in order to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, we must not only identify with Jesus, we must submit to him. Oh yeah, I'm a Christian. I go to such and such church. Oh yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. Talk is cheap. The proof is in the pudding. 
You're not a disciple of Jesus if you don't submit to him. You can't be. Because that's outside of what Jesus said a disciple of him is. And so we believe the full message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God in his grace gave his son Jesus to satisfy his holy demands. Because we've already talked about we can't. I can't. You can't. Do you give consideration ever to the fact that apart from Christ, you're offensive to God. You offend the God of the universe because of your sin. And unless that offense is remedied through faith in Jesus, you cannot be a disciple of Jesus. Just as he told Nicodemus, you must be born again. Did Christ really live a perfect life? Did Christ really suffer and die as the sacrifice given by God to atone for our sin that was offensive to himself? Did Christ really rise from the dead after three days in the grave? Did Christ really appear to more than 500 people after his resurrection? Did Christ really ascend to the right hand of the Father where he is seated, interceding on the behalf of man? If you don't believe this, you're not a disciple of Jesus. Because Jesus said, my disciples identify with me and they submit to what I teach. So by these truths, I want to ask, have you been born again? In your sin, you're offensive to the holy God of the universe. And in his grace and in his mercy, he gave the payment to atone for the offense. There is no other story like this. And it's not merely a story. It's an actual historical account. Historical documents demonstrate that a man named Jesus, who claimed to be the Messiah, was crucified. And three days later, the tomb that he had been placed in was empty. Do you believe this? If you don't, you can't be a disciple of Jesus. To be born again is to become a disciple of Christ. And if you're going to be a disciple maker, you must be a disciple. And if you're going to be a disciple, you must be born again. You see, as anybody of believers, but the church as a whole, sets out to carry out the command of Christ, the church must be made up of people who are strengthened by God's grace in Christ. You cannot carry out a divine task without people who are inspired by the divine. You must be born again. This is, I would submit to you, the foundational ingredient for disciple making. Because after all, the goal of disciple making is that people would be born again. I want to share a couple quick things in conclusion um, from this little book right here. 
written by a man named Michael Lawrence. This book is called Conversion. It's part of the Nine Marks series. He makes a number of notes about conversion. And what I mean by conversion is the aforementioned going from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And he makes many observations, but I'm going to give you three of them. Because if we're honest, most of us have the tendency when we hear the question, have we been born again, to inherently say yes. I go to church. You know what I mean? I don't cuss, I don't chew, and I don't date girls that do. So we inherently say, yes, we've been born again, because in in the rural context of America where we live, like, we're born again, right? We've always, our family's Christian, I'm Christian, we're all Christian, and everybody's Christian. I don't see the evidence of that. But Michael Lawrence says this about conversion. Being born again is not about being nice. It's about being made new. Being born again is not about being sincere. It's about being saved. Being born again is not about decisions. It's about being a disciple. He would say many other things, but let me summarize his point. Many people are confused about what it means to be born again or have to have converted to Christ. They look to their behavior or how genuine they feel about a decision that they've made. And conversion is not marked by those things. Conversion is marked by being made new because you have been saved And now you live as a disciple, one who identifies with and submits to Jesus. Have you been born again? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the clarity of your word. Unless a man, this is a person, be born again, he cannot see the kingdom Challenge our hearts today, God, to what conversion is, to what it means to be born again. Help us to put away feelings of sincerity or uh, trying harder or being better as a barometer by which we say we know we're disciples of Christ. Father, the call of your word is to be made new. Not to be cleaned up, not to be fixed up, but to be made new. Not to do good, but to be a disciple. Not simply to be sincere, but to be saved. Work in our hearts this morning, God, for our good, for your glory. There is no greater task that we've been given I don't know that there's a greater means whereby you receive glory than to see people transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light by faith in the finished work of your son, Jesus. So stir our hearts this morning. Help us to be honest, as we'll see in just a moment. Help us to examine ourselves and be sure that we are in the faith. 
Help us to be sure, God, that we have been born again. We'll be careful to give you the glory in Jesus' name.